Leia Healthcare, looking after you always. Proud sponsors of Real Health with Carl Henry. Hello and welcome to Real Health with me, Carl Henry, in association with Leia Healthcare. Folks, on this week's show, I am delighted to be joined by hotelier John Brennan. In his brand new book, My Name is John, John writes about his battle with dyslexia, life as an entrepreneur, and how a cancer diagnosis wasn't going to stop him making a new business opportunity a massive success. John, a very big welcome to the show. How's it going? Hi, Carl. Good to see you. Very good. Thank you indeed. Long time no see. It's lovely yes. to hear your voice and to see you. I haven't, I haven't, uh, I haven't seen you for a long time. How's life? You need to get out of the city and... <laughs> circulate around the country a bit. I need to come visit you then in Camara. That's absolutely for sure. So how are things? You won't meet me on the jogging trail anyway, so you rest assured. So yeah. since the last time we would have spoken, um lots of things have changed for you, obviously. I want to start with the I want to start with the TV first of all. Uh, I would have known you from in the hotel. You 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 looked after us very very well there several times. And how did you find the transition of being on telly and becoming a national a national celebrity? Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know all the buttons to start with, all right. <laughs> um, you see, it, 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 it's very, very strange and you don't know it. And you you come from the same background in that you weren't a public figure and you weren't recognized and you weren't known. And then all of a sudden people are saying hello to you and I'm looking at them thinking, do I know you or how do you know me? And then it just rockets on from there. But the, that's the downside to it. And it's very difficult to live with that side of it at times. But the upside to it is if you weren't recognized, what you were doing on television wasn't working. So it's a double edged sword. Um, and I have to say, you, you, you come out on the right side of it nine times out of 10. But it isn't in true. It's it, the biggest obstacle in it is that it's a loss of privacy, which you don't fully appreciate until you experience what that is. Um, and that can be hard to live with, not necessarily for me, but for family and that around that at times. Are we surprised by that? That 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 that's once you went on telly, all of a sudden that just went, and it goes very good. I know myself, it goes very very quickly. Goes quickly, but it, it, we have we haven't. Well, the the program is coming back on air next year, but we haven't been on live for two years now, and um, so you kind of go out of people's memories too as well, which is kind of nice. But it's it, the biggest the biggest shock you got was when you went to McDonald's and you were ordering a Big Mac and <laughs> a large fries and a, a, a milkshake or something, and then to say. Oh, I didn't think you'd eat that. And people say, and I'm thinking, how did they, it, it just, you lose that privacy as a result. So then all of a sudden you're looking for the corner seat to face the wall. Yeah. I get that every now, every now and again. Like you, you, uh, there's, uh, the, I'm up and down to cork a huge amount. And, and the, odd, the, the odd time you'd be absolutely exhausted and have yes. had a really tough weekend or whatever. And you, 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 you give in the temptation and you'd swing by the drive-in and cash on, the, on yeah. the way home. And yeah. like that, they're like, you're that fella off the table. Yeah. Well, like, yeah, yeah. Do you want to know the bad news now? That's <laughs> ex, that's exit eight, right? And I would always call into exit eight, get the takeaway, and then drive back on the motorway because I wouldn't eat in the restaurant. And then you pull in the layby one one and a half miles further down the road when you join back onto the motorway. And the bad news is that that layby is now closed. <laughs> and I passed it three days ago, three nights ago at like one o'clock in the morning, and I'm coming down and it's closed, and I'm thinking, oh God, am we going to have me dinner? <laughs> And do you find that 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 the pressure of that stress causes you stress or causes you anxiety is probably a little bit strong, but you know what I mean. That yeah. are you stressed out by the fact that people know who you are? No, then no, I wouldn't be stressed at all. Um, no, it, it wouldn't stress me at all. You would be conscious of it um, at all times, um, but it, it wouldn't. I wouldn't call it stress. No, by any means, no, no. Okay. 
Now, the book. T- tell me more about the book and about the title of the book in spe- specifically. Did you it's more about how, Of course, <laughs> it, it jumps off the page really well. And tell, tell our listeners about that a little bit more. Okay, so the name of the book is my name is John J.H. O-N, I have to think about it. Um, and the reason for that is that uh, when I was growing up, I, I was very bad with dyslexia. Um, and I had to overcome that in my teens and still live with it today. I don't think you ever cure it fully. Um, but it's living with that. And the whole reason why I wrote the book and the only reason I wrote the book was that there's a whole lot of kids out there today. And when I say kids, I'm talking about mid-teens, um, late teens, coming to Leaving Cert who are not ac- academically driven. And the society in the Western world has an obsession with third level college. And it is a rite of passage for a for a, a, a leaving cert student to go into third level college. And society views them slightly differently if they don't go to third level college. And I think that's fundamentally wrong. And I think it is it has caused huge anxiety um, for teenagers and leaving certs to know what to do. Then they go to college and I've employed loads of them and they go to college and they don't like the course, they drop out. And then their whole self-belief becomes diminished and that has all sorts of further issues on it. While that may not be and isn't the proper route for an awful lot of children or kids, teenagers. And I just think it's important that that needs to be urged because I think generally speaking, um, the pendulum has gone too far in towards the academic um, qualifications and the skills qualifications and the basic skills of Knowing how to sell and knowing how to talk to people. Um, one of the best upbringings you could have would be selling flowers in Moore Street. Because if you can do that in Moore Street, my God, you can do anything anywhere you want to go. And it's a bit of self-belief. Um, and I think that was the only reason I wrote the book. Every, everything else that's in it and everything else built around it is fluff. The main point of the book is to give people hope who would not be achieving the best in school. Tell us about what dyslexia actually is. So for those who are listening and who don't know. Um, it, well, it's, first of all, it's a stupid name for a condition that has a problem with letters and words. Like, could you believe it? There's a, a Y and an S in the first three letters. I wouldn't say there's <laughs> another letter word in the English language has that combination of letters. So it's a difficulty with, with letters and with words, um, which leads to reading and maths um, and sums. And you see things differently. Like if I'm, I'm here now in a bedroom in the Lansdowne Hotel 201, okay, I could look at that sign and see 102. And you just read things differently. Um, and back in when I was in school in the 70s, before you were born, um, I was there and the condition wasn't understood in school. So as a result, you'd be deemed to be stupid and you're put sitting at the back of the class. And that's the way we drifted for for a, a, a lot of years. Um, and then I had a wonderful school teacher, Finborough Driscoll, and he spotted something and then told me, my mother, that I should be brought to be assessed for dyslexia, which we didn't even hear of at the time. We didn't know of it. And off I went. And that's what I was diagnosed with, which I was thrilled because that's a beautiful name. It's a beautiful word. It's like it's exotic and it's different. And I'm thinking, oh, wow, I have that. That's really great. Yeah. So it was, it was it was nice to be labeled with something that other than stupidity. And once that happened, then I suppose you're, you you relax a little bit and say, yeah, but there's ways of working with this. And then you go and I did summer schools in Bray um, for three years in a row. And I did classes then every weekend. And then all of a sudden you learn how to look at words differently and you learn how to read. But it's funny because when you when you 
look at uh, many, many hugely successful people around the world, different league to me totally now, um, a lot of them suffer from dyslexia because your actual brain has to work twice as fast and you're looking at angles and you're looking at things to see how to figure them out, um, much more so than a person who you would ask a question and I'll answer it. But I'm thinking here now, looking at you with your hand on your chin, what's he thinking of asking me next? <laughs> and that's why you're, you're you're always thinking like that, um, and that's that's very very good. Um, but you need to be strong willed and strong minded, and you need to get over the hill of not being in the top ten percent in the class and being in the ten the the, the, the lower ten percent of the class, but still have an ability and having um, skills that could be adapted and used in a different way that would really be benefit you in the long run. And have you always been strong willed and strong minded and motivated? It's very funny because I would never have thought I was until you write a book and then you look back and you read it and you think, oh my God, did I do that? Like at, at 17 and a half years of age, just 18 years of age, I got a grant from the IDA, which was um, um, for a woodworking factory in Sligo and I got 82,000 pounds, which is about 112,000 euros today in 1985. So that was a ferocious amount of money. Now, I'm th- I'm, as, I, I'm, as I'm writing the book and reading it, and I'm thinking to myself, how did I put that application together? Like, what application was so good in 1985 to attract that sort of money from the IDA who would have been getting, um, in Sligo, where, where the application went in, they would have been getting applications from Abbott Laboratories, from Brush, from um, a whole host of Stiefel, a whole host of um, international companies in the area. And then I'm a 17 and a half year old, 18 year old. I put in this application. They say, yeah, that reads great. They interview me two or three times. They say, yeah, we'll support him and they write a check. So when you look back on things like that, you would have to say, like, I bought my first house when I was 15 and I gutted it. Yeah, 15. I hadn't got two wrecks, right? It cost me 8,000 euros, a lovely little house, two up, two down, down the back in Sligo. And I rented it three girls who were coming to Kenmare or Sligo from um, um, Roscommon, they were from. But anyway, built the, but renovated the house. The girls came in, they stayed three years. We got great. They were telephonists with um, the hospital in Sligo. And then they moved out. And then shortly after that, then I sold it. But I tripled my money on that. But like at 15, 16 years of age to build, buy a, I was 16, I suppose, at the time, to be able to buy a house and do that. Yes, I suppose I was strong-willed, but I would never have thought I was until you read back and look at it. So I suppose one of the, the, the tips to take from the interview for people is regardless of anything life skills are, are hugely important and the, the ability to, to to be able to buy sell learn yeah. all of that they're huge skills that you need to learn at a, as, at a young age and bring and to bring through the rest of your life with you one of the best skills you can learn is to look to know how to look at a person straight in the eye and shake their hands if you can do that then you're across a couple of hurdles and i think that's where irish people have been very good when they've gone overseas they bond and they build relationships with people very, very quickly and honest relationships. Um, and they have a bit of banter. There's a bit of fun and they break down those barriers much faster than any other um, nationality, I think. And I think that's why when you look at corporations and Irish people overseas, they've done extremely well because of that skill. There is another element of that, which is called the GAA, but we'll go into that again in a few minutes. Um, but those skills are hugely important. But I would never, ever, ever interview a person on the on the strength of their cv that would not come into my um, radar whatsoever and um, their 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 
personality and their hospitality skills in our business is for, are far more valuable than a piece of paper with a, with a degree or a, a PhD or a master's written on the top foot. And certainly there's um, avenues for all of those qualifications. But generally speaking, in our business and what we employ is a good personality, we can teach them the rest. So that's why I say when I get young youngsters in working with us um, and they have to go to college, they have to go to college, they have to go to college, it's not suited for a lot of them. Um, and then they hit a brick wall after a year. And then I think that the, after that, the consequences are huge because it knocks them off track for a couple of years and it breaks their self-confidence and all of that. Whereas if they were selling flowers on Moore Street, they'd be 10 times better off. Folks, you're listening to Real Health with me, Carl Henry, Association with Leia Healthcare. John Brennan is giving us Lessons of life, actually, is what I would call this the interview so far. Simple lessons of life, which would be really important. So you went from Dublin to Sligo. You moved over to Sligo. How did you get yourself from there down to Kenmare? Um, oh, wonderful story, this one. Um, okay, so we, Dad got emphasis. We owned a shop and step aside in Dublin, which was out in the country at the time. Um, and um, he owned a shop, and then he got very ill like that overnight. He'd emphysema and chronic bronchitis hit him in an hour behind the counter in the shop one Saturday he collapsed and for he lived then for 17 years after that but he was on oxygen for 15 hours a day for the 17 years so mum looked after him at home I'm eight there's eight years between myself and the next sibling Susan and so I was kind of a lonely child in that sense and that they were all kind of grown up by the time I was five Um, and then dad because he's bad chest at that time in the 80s in in in, um, Dublin the smog was horrendous from all the chimneys and the smoke so the air wasn't clean so he said fine we get out of here because I need as much clean air as we can get and my mum was from Sligo and dad had a farm had bought land in Sligo previously and he said he'd build a house so I was dragged along I was only probably 13 at the time. So we went to Sligo and then I went to school in Sligo out in Ballester, which was wonderful. And then I left there at halfway through the junior cert, or the inter cert, because I couldn't handle the rest. Another exam in front of me, it drove me around the twist. So I said, forget this. So I left and then I went to work on a vegetable truck and then I went to work in the Sligo Park and had 13 wonderful years in the Sligo Park. And then I was trying to buy a hotel in Sligo and open a hotel and the whole thing fell apart at the last minute. And then Francis, uh, my brother in Kenmare, said, why don't you come down to me here? He says, because I'd work for you down here. So we were just after building a beautiful house in Sligo, Gwen and myself. We were only married a year, a year and a half. And we said, fine, we'll go to Kerry. And off we went to Kerry. And the rest is history. Yeah. Wow. And and how do you find work, working with, with, with a sibling? I'm intrigued by that now. Yeah. Probably easier than working with your father. <laughs> <laughs> Good answer. Good answer. <laughs> no. I'm, I'm sure that's very true, by the way. I'm sure that's very true. I'd say I'll be getting a phone call, will I? <laughs> you might do. <laughs> no. Um, working with Francis was, was a huge, huge learning curve because I was coming from a, a quantity three-star hotel to a quality five-star hotel. And we we did all things to all people in Sligo. We did weddings, dinner, dances, funerals, baptisms, divorces, separations. All of those things we looked after. In the, in the Park Hotel in Kenmare, we only look after resident guests, um, couples predominantly who are away for a nice luxurious escape, and that's our business. So it was a very, very different different environment to work in totally. And I suppose that brought some pressures but um, um, from me because Francis would have expected X and I was only delivering Y. So there was a learning curve in that, but we got up that curve fairly fast, thanks be to God. But it was it was a very different operation. Outside of work, it was never an issue. But the, it's funny now because there's 13 years between Francis and myself. So when, when I was 10, he was 23. 
he was gone. So I never knew Francis till I came to Kenmare. Like we just never, we, we never lived in the house together. We just didn't know we met at Christmas if he wasn't working and you'd meet as siblings meet. But the, the, the age gap between us would have put us in a totally different um, place. And one of the lessons that I'm pulling from the chat so far is the fact that it's about knowing your market or knowing your job. Like you even chatting to you there, you know that, you know, you know your customer inside out. You've done all your homework on that. So that's so for people listening in. Uh, that's important. Know what you do and know it really well. Yeah. You th- th- you're better off being one thing and one thing very good than multi things. And certainly in all the businesses we have, we, we focus on a particular element of it and that's all we do. And I'm, I, 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 I hate, people often say to us in the park hotel, oh, the staff are lovely. They're absolutely gorgeous, which thankfully, I'm looking out the window here in the Lansdowne Hotel, at two of them across the road, looking at a menu, planning dinner out tonight. Our two receptions are across the road. But we don't distract our people away from a resident guest. Like generally speaking, when you go into a hotel, the porter will be bringing bags up to a room. He has to go and get meeting room chairs. The waters have to be replenished at 11 o'clock when the meeting room breaks. The guy's head is so fried from doing so many things. He hasn't time to talk to anyone. And that's one of the wonderful things that Irish people have is the ability to talk, as you can tell here and now. Um, And that is a cornerstone of the Park Hotel because we don't distract our people away from a resident guest. And that, that comes with a price because you don't have a turnover as big as you could have because you're not doing everything that you possible to do. But the quality of the business that you're doing and the premium you get for it is very important. And that's why I, I, I very much harp on about that when we go on at your service and do the TV show. There's a huge tendency for a business to copy what's happening down the road because the business down the road is doing a good business. All you're offering is the market two things, two versions of the same thing. And you're only going to compete with them on price. And at the end of the day, price, like the customer always pays. There's no other way around it. Okay, if the customer doesn't pay, the business doesn't succeed. So it's it's how you give the customer the best value possible for the experience they give. And that's not always based on price. And that's where the Park Hotel comes into its own. One of the things in the book is around overcoming obstacles. And I think it's fair to say with yourself that uh, sometimes you, you know, you're a risk taker. So those obstacles, you don't potentially don't see them or you're not afraid of them and you take the risk and go for something such as the likes yeah. of Drumquina, the Lansdowne that you've done now. Yeah. You've been through a pandemic. You've been through an economic crash, probably one or two of them. Yeah. 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 So for people listening in, it's, it's, it's to believe in yourself and sometimes take those risks. No, they, they, they would be hugely calculated risks. And actually, if you look at Drunkwina and you look at Lansdowne, the actual risk was not doing them. Because if we didn't do the um, there was uh, Drunkwina at the time, we wouldn't have had financial independence from the bank, which we were up the walls with at the time in the Park Hotel. We had the opportunity of eliminating a possible competitor by buying the Drunkwina. And because someone could have bought that, put a lot of money into it and have a a serious competition for the Park Hotel on its doorstep. So there was a whole road of reasons to do it. Um, The real the real risk was not doing it. And the Lansdowne is the exact same. You walk down the drive of the Park Hotel, the Lansdowne Hotel here since 17, excuse me, 1790, directly across the road from the hotel. If that wasn't run properly and a commitment to the standard, and that we would like, that diminishes our product across the road. It diminishes the town of Kenmare. When you drive in, it's the most prominent building. When you drive into town, it's straight there in front of you, a big, big building. If that wasn't properly presented, the town doesn't look its best. 
So they were all calculated risks. Um, if, if you offered me a hotel in, in town X tomorrow, I would think long and hard about it. But those two moves, uh, the risk, the real risk in both of those businesses was not doing it. Um, so. and, and is it fair to say to people listening that I suppose, you know, along with knowing what you do and knowing it well, and, you know, but also kind of in some respects future proofing, because I remember when your spa first opened in the park, I think you were the first spa in the country to open before it became a thing, which it, yes. it absolutely is now. So trying to look ahead and forecast down the line of what's coming, that's really important too. And then again, part of the calculated risk process for opening that. But you guys were the first to do before anyone had, had even thought about spas. It's funny now because we went, I brought a man in from America called Bernard Burt. And Bernard Burt, he has to be dead now at this stage, or 120, one or the other. But anyway, Bernard came over. He was living in Washington at the time, and he owned a little small um, travel agents in New York called Spa Finder. And he did very well. And he sold Spa Finder, the travel agents, to um, Pete and Susie Ellis, who own it today. And um, they closed the um, shop and um, the travel agents, and they just stayed everything on last, online. Spa Finder, I've met them many times. I know them very well. Um, lovely lovely couple but anyway Bernard anyway I brought him over and I'm showing him through the spa because he is the godfather of spa this guy knew spa golden door and um, nugget all the big ones in the states Calavi and um, he would have been the guy who they would have all gone to for inspiration and for the thought process and the whole thing so we were in the middle of the build in Kenmare and I said would you like to come over and see he said I'd love I've never been to Ireland so over he came anyway and I'm showing him around he said John there's a huge mistake here I said what's that he said you have no swimming pool I said, no, I said, we don't. He says, that's not going to work. Well, I said, hold on now, bear with me now for a minute. In America, I said, you're all members of country clubs or you have your own swimming pool at home. Swimming in America is not a problem because you have access to pools. In Ireland, we don't have access to pools. And the difficulty with the word spa, which is a three-letter word, I drive a car, me telling you I have a car, you don't know if I drive a Rolls Royce or a Mini. It means nothing. And spa is the exact same. But the spa that we wanted wasn't a leisure centre with treatment rooms. We wanted a proper destination spa. So I decided not to build the pool because I wanted to establish in the marketplace the difference between spa and leisure centre. And I said to him, in four years' time, I will build a proper swimming pool, but not until we've established the, the spa world first. And that's what we did. And then he came back and I built a 25-metre pool, a beautiful swimming pool, um, um, two and a half lanes wide, 25 metres long, stainless steel, which is really unusual, but a really good finish. Um, and we built that. And then we, we have our swimming pool as well. But it was important that we established spa before we, we built the pool. Um, but that's... Uh, Travel is the best education you can have. And our daughter has just qualified from college last May and I told her to go away for two years. Don't want to see her get on a plane and off she went. She's in Malta at the moment. But you cannot beat travel for, for experience and for education, particularly for me. I would learn. I, I would much prefer, Francis doesn't agree with this for financial reasons. I would much prefer to stay in a five-star hotel where I'm going to learn something than a place that's 150 euros cheaper and I'll learn nothing. I think that 150 euros that I spend is the best value money we will get because you'll pick up some little nugget. Like um, I was in a hotel the other night and they had a hairdryers in the in the wardrobe as every hotel does, but they had a little tag on it. Have a have a good hair day, um, on the and just little things like that you pick up when you travel and you stay someplace nice. Um, but I think travel is hugely important. People will get from the conversation already that you're you're an optimist. Uh, you're you're a hard worker. You're a bit of a risk taker. You're an optimist. How do all those three traits come to forbear when you get diagnosed with non-Hodgkin's lymphoma? <laughs> <laughs> mm. 
Okay. How, so, does, how, how does that mashup happen? <laughs> I'll tell you exactly. It's good. It's funny now. Um, okay. I had pains, Mr. Muck. We eliminated curries. We eliminated gin. We eliminated red wine. We eliminated white wine. I was still getting pains, Mr. Muck. And this particular Saturday night, I was benching too. I didn't sleep at all. I was walking all over the kitchen. And the next day, I rang my sister, Kate in Dublin, who works in the medical world. And I said, listen, I said, I'm in trouble. I said, I need to speak, talk to someone. Oh, she says, I know the guy in Cork. She says, go to him. So I said, fine. So I went to him on Tuesday. He had to look at me. He said, John, he said, it's gallstones. He says, not a problem. He says, we'll do a laser on them. We'll take them out. And he said, burn them out. And he said, it'll be fine. He says, come in to me on Friday. Sounds as I was getting the car over to him on Friday. He did the job. Everything happy out. Not a bother. Left on Friday evening. Came back to Ken Mayer. Everything was fine. It wasn't a bother to me at all. And about a week later, he rang me. He said, Johnny says, you won't believe it. He said, we're after detecting cancer in the gallbladder, which we removed. I said, grand. He said, I don't know anything about it. He said, not my forte. He said, Mary Cattles, your girl in Cork. He said, make an appointment with her. Sound. So I made the appointment, went over to Mary and that was fine. Um, she did tests and then I had to go back three weeks later. And the three weeks later, we were filming in Burr in County Offaly and I had to take the morning off from filming to go to get this diagnosis at 11 o'clock in Cork. So we went down to Cork. Um, I went from Tipperary. Gwen left and went over from Kenmare. We met in um, Mary Cahill's rooms in Cork, and she told us it was non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, which now was like tiddly wings to me. I hadn't a clue what that meant. And it was stage four, which didn't... Ha- I'm looking at her thinking, now, is that four out of five, four out of ten, or four out of a hundred? I hadn't a notion what stage four was at that stage. So poor Gwen would be much more medically minded than I, so she understood it, and she started roaring crying. And then Mary said, listen, she said, the good news is, she said, it's treatable, um, but she said it's not curable. Well, I said, that's fine. If we can treat it, I said, that's grand. So I was happy enough. So we left there. I went back to Tipperary filming. Gwen went back to Kenmare. Um, God love her on her own in the car, which wasn't an easy trip for her, I'd, I'd say at all. And that was at 11 o'clock in the morning. And at five o'clock that afternoon, I got a phone call from the auctioneer to say that we'd bought Drunkwina. The bank had accepted <laughs> our deal. So that's how you deal with a diagnosis like that. <laughs> and you know something? It was the best thing that ever happened because it focused my brain for the year I was having treatment. I was doing the I was doing the um, Lansda or the um, Drunkwina Manor up, which was basically an abandoned site for um, twelve years. Um, derelict, we had there was all pampas grass growing over the avenue, which wasn't our macadam, it was only a gravel avenue, and it was in a shocking state. Um, so we had an awful lot of work to do there, but that kept the brain focused because you you can become very demoralised with a diagnosis like that. And I would be strongly of the opinion we all have a terminal illness called life. So the question is, when does what happens during it and how, how long do you have? And no one knows that. So one of the good things about being diagnosed with cancer is you think about that a lot more and you get a lot more out of your life um, every day as a result. So I would be hugely conscious of um, more time home um, and more time off than I would have been. I'd have worked 18 hours a day for 30 years. So I would only do 10 hours a day probably now. Um, but you'd be just much more conscious of that now than I would have been if I wasn't diagnosed with cancer. So that's good. That was my final question for you, which is I, I can get the, and I haven't mentioned several times over the years, I get it, I, how you love what you do. You have a just absolute grow for the job, the people, and I'm being very, very good at what you do too. How do you switch off or how, or do you switch off? You don't go to McDonald's anyway. <laughs> not anymore <laughs> how do you say okay I'd be we don't golf or anything but I have I have a boat um, and I go off on the boat if at all possible um, and we just love that because that means you can drop an anchor for four hours down Kenmare Bay you can have a picnic and it's just bliss 
Um, and that's that's and that's the way we would be in in the normal in the normal run of the of, of the of the world. And um, when travel was easy, um, we would have gone to Spain once a month. Um, for two days and that would switch off we'd cycle you'd be very happy with me there I'd cycle 20 kilometers a day and walk 10 kilometers every day in Spain no hills all flat but it was grand fresh air and we'd switch off when we go to Spain all right like that yeah we would do that and certainly on the boat we bought we bought a camper van a few weeks ago and like that that that's our version of your boat we just go yes. off on a Sunday for a spin and just park up somewhere and apps yes. and just re- just relax and unravel and it, it, it's absolutely super it's subconsciously you're off duty once you're behind the wheel of that motorhome absolutely it, it, and we only drive I only we only drive it on a Saturday or a Sunday yeah. and it's it, the subconscious brain is all activated in full relax mode that the, the yeah. phone goes in the glove box you don't see it. You're in a totally different space while you're there, and it's become our our our, our space of of downtime and relaxation. You know, I get I get worried about you when I hear you're sitting in the avenue of the hotel, sitting in the van <laughs> <laughs> with with the tent at the side of it. That that wouldn't be part of the image of the hotel, John. That is for sure, John. It's been absolutely. Yeah. I've thoroughly enjoyed catching up with you. It's been so long since we we've chatted. You were very very good to me many many years ago. I remember one yeah. just after Christmas one year, I went over to the park to train for a couple of days, and you put me up in uh, the chauffeur's room, and yes. I haven't forgot. I haven't, I haven't forgotten the hospitality. You guys showed me all those years ago as a bit of a lost soul so it was much appreciated Uh, john remind us of the name of the book Uh, my name is john published in all bookshops now and it is really for parents and for children who find schooling a little bit challenging I think everyone who's listened to the interview today will be inspired, motivated, focused, and just feel good. It's one of those lovely chats with people when the podcast really kind of does its thing. So it's been great to catch up and I'll see you in person hopefully very, very soon. Folks, that's it for another episode of Real Health with me, Carl Henry, in association with Leia Healthcare. I really hope you enjoyed today's episode. As ever, you know where we are, at Carl Henry PT on Twitter and on Instagram, realhealthindependent.ie. And finally, don't forget to rate and review. And we'll see you very, very soon for more Real Health. It's long ago. Leia Healthcare, looking after you always. Proud sponsors of Real Health with Carl Henry.